of Brotherly Love, number Ben, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, broadcasting from and hanging out in the WWDV 860 AM studios. Well, if you can't already tell, this week I am once again a liar. My introduction does lie. I am not hanging out in the WWDB 860 AM studios. I am currently escaping uh, with my girlfriend down in Florida, Delray Beach area, Fort Lauderdale area. We'll be here for a few more days and then back in the studio, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks. So that'll be fun. I definitely miss um, being down and getting the better quality audio. But nonetheless, it's really a blessing and super grateful to be able to do this show um, from so far away. Now, you have tuned yourself into another episode of the Health Coach Ebb Show, where we are leveling the playing field around physical and mental health. And what that means is we are bringing you the best ideas for what actually works for managing health issues um, and not just what has the most money behind it. Um, I am your host, Evan Transu, a.k.a. Health Coach Ebb. You can reach out anytime or check out my work at evantransu.com. But as always, we have a wonderful uh, guest this week, and this is a really interesting topic, something that I am still diving into myself. We're going to be focusing a lot on um, genetics as well as other things, and we're going to be talking to Dr. Piper Gibson. Now, Piper Gibson is a doctor of advanced holistic nutrition, board-certified doctor of natural medicine, and functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. She helps scared, frustrated, and overwhelmed parents get access to the tools and testing they need so they can get to the bottom of their child's neurodevelopmental disorders such as ADHD, tics and Tourette's, anxiety, SPD, and ASD. She is the corporate educator for GX Sciences, where she educates practitioners about nutrigenomic testing and improving client outcomes. Uh, Piper's also a colleague of mine, known her for a couple of years now, um, so really fun to be able to talk to her today, learn more about her story and some of the things that she does. So, Piper, thank you so much for being here with us. Yes, you're welcome, Evan. I'm excited to join you this morning. Very cool. All right, let's dive right into it. Um, I always like to start with getting a little background on our guests because it is very rare. In fact, I don't think it's ever happened where I get someone that is more functional-minded or natural-minded that does not have a personal story with this stuff. So let's talk a little bit about that. What are some of the health challenges either you or your family members have experienced um, that maybe led you to getting into this space? Because not everyone that wants to become a doctor goes and becomes a natural medicine doctor, right? That's usually done for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. So nine years ago, my oldest son was diagnosed with a transient neurological tick. So it is much like Tourette. The Tourette diagnosis is actually you have to have tick-like symptoms for over a year. Um, but we started down a path where the conventional approach just was not working for us. We saw uh, 10 different doctors. We tried eight different prescriptions. Um, his symptoms were just getting worse. He couldn't focus. He couldn't function. I had to pull him out of school to homeschool him. And I just felt like there was something else going on, something that was being missed in that conventional model. And I started to re-educate myself. I went back to school and relearned every single thing I thought I knew about health and wellness. And one of the things that I fell in love with along the way was, was nutrigenomics and using the genetic testing, not just to help my own family, but it's definitely changed the lives of so many of my, my clients. But, you know, our journey was, was difficult and it just led me down this path of relearning everything I knew to help my son. Got it. And it's such a tough thing, especially something like that. I can't even really imagine what it must be like. Um, it's hard enough to deal with this stuff personally, but yet alone from the perspective of a parent, you know, watching um, a child go through these types of things, I feel like that's just um, especially tough. And as tough as it may be, I think one of the wonderful things is once you do get to the other side of that, 
hill or mountain for some, you know, depending on what the issue is. It is so inspiring to be able to help other people and you just feel motivated to do so. And I know that's how, you know, we both got into the work that we're into. So obviously we kind of want to focus on the genetics today. I know that there's definitely more um, to this story, but I am kind of interested in that. Before we dive too deep into there, I think it's always important to let people know, you know, these tests are great and, you know, we can use a lot of flashy stuff and fancy stuff in this world, but the basics are really going to be um, always some of the best things to go to first. So I am curious, before you got to the genetic route, because I'm guessing that wasn't the first thing you tried, what were some things that maybe helped support um, your child or like did nothing really work at all until you got to that type of uh, testing? So, yeah, I am a huge believer in, in using the basics. Um, I've learned a lot along the way, and the basics definitely play a huge role. And I am really about treating the person, working with the person, and not treating the paper. Um, because I think you miss a lot of things when you just look at the paper, and you don't really look at who the person is and what they're experiencing. So, you know, along the way, some of the very first things we did were we started to change diet. You know, we were the standard American diet family. I was a drive-through mom. I mean, we'd be on our way to soccer practice, and we would stop for McDonald's chicken nuggets. I tell the story that I'm pretty sure my son at one year, one year old could um, order chicken McNuggets from the backseat of the car. And we were very much standard American diet and we didn't know any better. I mean, my husband and I were both athletes. We were pretty fit, um, but we had gone down this path where it was easy. It was convenient. And so the first things we really did was we worked on changing diet. We worked on making sure that he was getting nutrition. I started removing toxins from the home. I didn't know things like bleach were neurotoxic. So I started taking things out of the home that I really felt were impacting his health, not just at home, but I really started to go to work at, at school and look at what the school was doing and how they were cleaning and the things that they were doing at the school. So really getting back to that basics, looking at diet, looking at rest, exercise, stress reduction, supplementation, those, those five key things really are a great start. But for us, there was just something missing, a piece of the puzzle. Got it. And then I know it's probably nearly impossible to quantify. So in a rough estimate here, what would you say like the percentage of support that he got from doing these types of things was like, is this like a 50% improvement? Is it 10%? Like how much better did he get with this? It depended on the day. Sometimes it was 90% and sometimes it was 50% because honestly, you know, there was something setting him off that we just could not pinpoint. And so you know, we would try different foods. We'd take out corn. We'd add in corn. We would. It was really kind of an experiment because at that time, it was really just what I was reading and what I was learning. We hadn't really done a lot of the testing to really get that data. So I would say it really depended on the day, um, how successful we were. There was just something underlying that we needed to get to. Understood. Okay. So, yeah, you can go down so many different rabbit holes in the natural medicine space, and some of them are really good. Um, in fact, most of them are actually really good, but they have to be used in context. So I'm curious, how does that eventually lead you to, like, getting introduced even to the genetic side of things? Because, I mean, that's something, you know, I'm so thankful that you brought to the table with us at FDN um, because I knew about it, like, over the last year, and I wanted to get involved, but I really couldn't. So how did you originally find out about this and consider it a route to take? When we have, this, have a fantastic alternative medicine allergist, and she had really helped us to get on the right path. We had, at that point, finally done a little bit of food sensitivity testing. Um, we had worked on getting rid of some candida overgrowth. 
but we were still having some tick symptoms and and very much a lot of focus issues. Um, and she had kind of diagnosed him with um, sensory processing disorder. But she had mentioned to me a gene. This is what I call, you know, it's the sexy gene. It's called MTHFR. And it's really the most well-known gene out there. You can Google it. And there's tons of information out there. But she said, maybe we should look at this. So we looked at it. And that sent me down a rabbit hole. I started reading everything I possibly could. I really learned a lot of stuff about genes and genetics on my own. And when I approached her about it, she was like, you, you are out of my league. You have to find somebody else who can help you with this. And my sister found this amazing doctor in Austin, Texas. And at that point, I said, you know what? We've tried everything else. Let's give it a whirl. So we went and saw him. And he did the genetic testing. It's called nutrigenomic testing. And we started a natural protocol with him. And within 30 days, we had a new child. It really changed a lot of the symptoms that he had going on. So I fell in love at that moment with nutrigenomics. I said, teach me how to do this. I think people out there need to know how to use this, not just to say, oh, my gosh, genes are my destiny. Um, I can't change them. But really how what our what we have going on in our lives, our diet and our lifestyle and how they impact our genes and what we can do to support them. Oh, wow. That is so cool. I love that about 30 days. And, you know, because it's not that all that other work probably didn't really support that 30-day transformation. But, I mean, still, just for people to even know that there's a possibility of feeling so much better um, in such a short period of time. Because that's what we've, we've been sold forever, right, um, that you're going to take this pill for this ill and, and be fine. And that's not really how it works. But, yes, when we identify major stressors on the body, whether they're just inherent or um, environmental, wow, yeah, things really can change fast. The body wants to be healthy. It wants to feel good. And that's so cool that you, you found this doctor and got into this. Um, we got about four minutes before the break. So I think one of the things that's really important, and I like diving a little deeper on this show. I know it's a public show, but, you know, we definitely want to attract certain types of people that are definitely into this stuff. However, sometimes it's good to just go over the basics. Um, a quick question that I have to really just get people understanding what this even is, like what is the difference between what you're talking about with this nutrigenomic stuff and this genetic testing versus like I'm guessing the gene test that most people would know is like um, a 23andMe or I, I forget the other one, but w what is the difference? Like what are we actually looking at when we're doing quote-unquote genetic testing? So most of the gene testing on the market today is we are looking at single nucleotide polymorphisms. It's called uh, SNPs for short. So a mutation in a gene happens in less than 1% of the population, and a SNP, which is a change in the enzyme on the, on the gene, happens in more than 1% of the population. And so we can kind of look at those, and there are tons of studies out there on how they support your health. So think, something like 23andMe will give you 12,000 pages of raw data. They do not correlate what's going on with your health with, with your genes. They just say, hey, you have your, these genes. This is our recommendation. The difference in what I use and what I am teaching to practitioners out there in the field is we are not just going to hand you 12,000 pages of raw data. We are going to really look at this information and how it compares and contrasts to what your patient, what your clients are going through, and how we can reinforce and remove things from their, from their lifestyle, their diet, their environment to support them. Okay, great. I think that's, um, you know, clear enough because I feel like most people get so attracted to the idea of like the 23andMe stuff. Um, and I guess maybe Ancestry is the other one or something like that. Not important. The thing is, you know, everyone wants to do these things and then I'm like, they get the report. And I feel like most often what comes out of it is now they are scared because they know that they're like slightly more prone than, you know, the person down the street to XYZ disease. I'm like, that doesn't 
that, that doesn't sound particularly helpful to me. You know, like I, I, want, <laughs> I want some actionable things. I want to know what I can do um, if I have some stuff going on and I actually need to take a next step so that I can be healthier and stuff like that. Um, so I've had a lot of people in my life get that 23andMe testing. Um, are they able to like, – can you take raw data from that and analyze it in the way that you know, or does someone have to get a whole additional test? You can, but I'm going to tell you that it's very expensive to do it because it is very, very time-consuming to sort through basically 12,000 pages of raw data. And some of it, they actually leave off some genes that I think are really important in looking at your health. So, you know, I used to sort through all that information for my clients, and now I say, you know what, it's going to cost you a lot less. <laughs> Let's just look at a new test. Let's just see what's going on and to sort through all of that information. It's just very overwhelming. And with GX Sciences, we have uh, 15 different panels with more in the works that we can really look at particular symptoms and apply it, that testing to what they have going on. So instead of looking at 12,000 pages, we're gonna look at 36 to 55 different genes at a time. That's amazing, 12,000 pages and they still have some genes that <laughs> you know, you'd uh, mm -hmm. like to look at that they don't have. Um, the last thing I have before we go to the break is, I, I don't know if you did this for a reason, maybe we don't know this in the literature yet, but you said more than 1% um, have these kind of SNPs, like, do we know roughly what that number is? Is it the majority of people? Um, I mean, it seems to be highly effective kind of testing. So do you know what percentage this is roughly? It really depends on the particular SNP that is going on. So, you know, we know that roughly 60% of the population has the MTFR gene, but that really depends on your, on the demographic, on the background, you know, um, more Caucasian Americans have it, more Hispanic Americans have it. So really looking at what that, those cultural differences. So it's really dependent on the particular, the particular gene. Okay. All right. This is so cool. I can't wait to dive into this a little deeper, um, but we will be right back after these quick commercial breaks. Tired of talk radio shows that are nothing but Trump, Trump, and more Trump? Looking for something that actually has some relevance to your life? Then tune into the Pennsylvania Project. Hi, I'm Ken Krawchuk, host of the Pennsylvania Project. Our mission is to showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania, and we're all about solutions. So tune in Mondays, 3 p.m. here on WWDB, 860 a.m. in Philadelphia. When the problem is same old, same old talk radio, the correct solution is the Pennsylvania Project. Hey, Val, how's it going? That's a great health coach, Ev. It's the holiday season. What? Shouldn't that mean you were merry and jolly? Well, I'd like to feel that way, but my family is coming to my house this year. That means I'll have to deal with the embarrassment of my dog, Skippy, jumping all over them as I walk in the door. Oh, that old Skippy. Hey, I have just the solution for you, though. Have you heard of Eric Katz with Cats, Dogs, Canines? Cats, Dogs, Canines? Yeah, Cats, Dogs, Canines. Eric Katz is a great friend of mine who has been in the dog business for years now. He offers doggy daycare, boarding, and training for Bucks in Montgomery County, recently just added grooming as well. The guy's got more five-star Facebook reviews than you can count, and he even won Best of Montgomery County for boarding and pet training. So you're telling me that Eric can get Skippy to finally stop jumping on people and embarrassing the heck out of me? You bet. I actually lived with Eric for a while and saw him fix issues like that in a matter of two to three weeks. The guy's a dog whisperer. Okay, okay. I'm in. Where can I find him? You can get in contact with Eric by heading over to catsdogscanine.com. Cats is spelled K-A-T-Z. That's catsdogscanine.com. When you give him a call, tell him you know Health Coach Ev. Hey, everyone. Health Coach Ev here once again. A few questions for you. Are you listening to this show to better your own health? 
Have you tried changing your diet around, maybe seen some results, but aren't quite sure, or excuse me, aren't quite where you'd like to be? Are you tired of playing guessing games with which supplements to take or being told that your blood work looks quote unquote normal, even though you certainly don't feel so normal? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I have an amazing opportunity for you. Right now, you can be coached by a practitioner certified by the exact same program that I always reference as being the main contributing factor to restoring my health, functional diagnostic nutrition. FDN practitioners are part of a group of elite health professionals who are highly skilled at identifying healing opportunities that no one else has uncovered for you, which I can attest to uh, myself. They use cutting edge functional lab testing, and through these results, they'll be able to show you the hidden causes of your chronic health concerns. For me, it was these FDN practitioners who were finally able to explain to me why I had dealt with over a decade's work of mental and physical health symptoms and what I needed to do in order to truly heal my body. There's a very limited number of people they can currently work with, and in fact, you're going to have to hop on the wait list. Make sure you don't miss the next opportunity to work with one of these incredible professionals. Go to fdnthrive.com and click the Get Started Here button. That's fdnthrive.com and then click the Get Started Here button. We are back. Welcome to the Health Coach Up Show, where we are leveling the playing field around physical and mental health. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Health Coach Ev. I'll be your host for today. And we are talking to Dr. Piper Gibson, um, all about genetics, really diving into this, or about to dive into this, rather. And I'm super excited. Love this topic already. And I told you guys in the beginning, um, for those just tuning in, I am someone who's just really starting to learn more about it uh, because of Piper, actually. And I'm very thankful for that. I'll just put it that way. I can't wait to get some of my results back and see what's going on. So we already talked about, Piper, how you got into this stuff. You're dealing with these problems with your son. He's got this um, basically this tick going on, and nothing's really working. You're getting some results, but this was the thing that really made a huge difference. And it did it in as little as 30 days, which I find uh, particularly remarkable. So let's get into maybe some of the specific results that your son um, got. Like what were some of these SNPs? And I don't necessarily need us to get into the specific genes. I don't think that's relevant to people, but I'm curious, like, was there a lot of things going on genetically? Like what did it look like um, in simple terms? So I will say that the reason I think we did see results so quickly with him is because we had done all of the other footwork first. We changed the diet, we changed the lifestyle, we changed the environment. So we'd done a lot of footwork. So that's why I think that, we saw such quick results once we had added in this particular piece of the puzzle. Um, so for him, there was a lot of things going on. So one of the things that we can look at is methylation. Methylation is going to help in the making dopamine, serotonin, GABA. Um, it provides energy to the mitochondrial cells, especially for the nervous and immune system. So that MTHFR gene that I mentioned earlier that is just one single gene in this methylation chain. And when we are just looking at that one gene, we are missing all of these other compounding factors. So my son really had a hard time methylating. He had a hard time um, really converting folate from the form that you would find in food into a usable form that he can use inside his cells. So we really have to work on methylation. We also looked at inflammatory factors. You have on and off switches in your genes for inflammation. And he was really able to turn on this aggressive inflammation, and he had a really hard time turning off this aggressive inflammation. And we know with that aggressive inflammation, it's not just in one particular part of the body. It's systemic. It's everywhere. So it was basically turning on the immune system in his brain. You have specific immune cells in your brain. They're called microglial cells. And when he would experience this inflammation, it would cause this 
tick. It would cause this activation of these microglial cells. So we really had to focus on particular ways to reduce inflammation, not just through diet, but also with supplementation. Um, and so for us, those were two really huge things that once we started working on those, we saw a lot of changes. Okay. So what are some of the, I mean, I know this is just so everyone's very clear on this. This is clearly specific um, to this case here, and we don't need people just running around and making assumptions and trying these supplements themselves. And of course, I mean, you really have to, if there was ever a time that the phrase test don't guess is true, it is certainly here. Um, but I'm curious, like, what are the specific, like, action steps for your son in terms of, like, the supplementation based on these results? Right. We had to make sure he was eating much more green leafy vegetables to get folate. But we also had to add in some additional folate. So we used what's called a methylated form of folate that's already had that conversion done for, for you. So it goes right where it needs to go. Your body's not having to deal with these extra steps. So he was really able to get some nutrients from these supplements that he wasn't getting from food because, one, we weren't eating enough of them, and, two, he wasn't really converting it very well. Um, as far as the inflammation, we used a few things. One of them is called uh, PEA, which is we make it in our body naturally, but it is great for inflammation. A lot of people use it for uh, pain control, but um, it's really great for inflammation. So it is called palmitoethanolamide. We make it in our body, um, and it really helps your cannabinoid receptors. One of the other things that we added in was some, uh, we tried some CBD oil that was uh, helped with inflammation as well. So, you know, we used a few things, but we really had to focus on, okay, he has this inflammation. What else in the diet can we remove? We got a little more strict with the diet. Um, we got a little more strict with taking out some of the toxins from our home, not, you know, not having the bug guy come and spray for pests, uh, not having the yard guy spray for weeds. So we did make a lot of changes that were really beneficial for him as far as the inflammation uh, and the methylation go. Awesome. Are these types of supplements for people like this, is this something that he's still on to this day? And I guess it's worth asking, like, how long ago um, did you discover this stuff? Yeah, some of these things we still use. Um, kids that are growing, they need a lot of folate. So kids about ages four to eight use about – two times more folate than adults and kids ages eight to about 24, 26 use about four times more folate as they're growing. So when we're looking at these things that are like, Oh, this is my children's vitamins. It's lower dose because they're smaller. We know that they actually need more specific nutrients when they're growing. So some of these things we still use like the, the folate, we definitely still use, but a lot of these things we've really been able to, uh, back off of. We don't use them either at all or as often, but really it was a great place for us to start and really get him going in the right direction while we continued to make other changes in, in and around our life. Okay. And that kind of leads into my next point because where my mind's going here is it's amazing that we can do this testing. Um, it's amazing that we can find this stuff, but I'm kind of wondering, and I don't know, maybe you know this, maybe you have a theory about it, whatever. Like, I'm curious as to why this is relevant because I think, and what I mean by that is I think you and I both know as functional practitioners that we don't for a second believe that even, you know, three or 400 years ago, people were running around with the same types of chronic illness um, that we are today, certainly not even farther back than that. 
Now, there was other problems in the world, that's for sure. I always want people to understand that I acknowledge that. But these types of chronic illnesses and chronic inflammation, I just don't believe that that was something that we were dealing with um, in a major way, to be honest. So with that said, when we're looking at these genetic snips and we're seeing that people like even someone like your son might need to be or obviously benefits from this long-term supplementation, what is it that is making these SNPs even relevant? And I guess a better way to say this is you've probably heard the phrase, you know, genes load the gun, environment pulls the trigger. Now, maybe you disagree with that. I'm not sure. But kind of based on that statement, it's like what, when becomes the point that the environment can just adjust the genes or is that maybe not possible in today's world with all the other stress? And I, I apologize. I know there's a few questions there, but I think you kind of get my overall uh, point that I'm getting at. I do. And I, I agree with you that I think genes below the gun environment pulls the trigger. And I think that's the issue is that, you know, 400 years ago, we were not exposed to the things that we are exposed to today. I mean, there's over 85,000 chemicals on the market, which most of them have not been tested. They were grandfathered in. We have all of these chemicals, all of these substances. We are putting flame retardant on our furniture, which then, uh, accumulates in our dust and affects our ability to utilize iodine in the body. Um, we spray our foods with Roundup. We, um, we just don't have the same environment that we had, you know, 400 years ago, a thousand years ago. And so I think that's where we are seeing a lot of this. And I think one of the things about the gene testing or the nutrigenomic testing is that it can be very eye-opening for people because it is their basic blueprint. They can see. And so when people see that, they are a lot more willing to change because they're seeing it on paper. And they're like, okay, that totally makes sense. You know, I can make these changes because I know that it's going to support my genes. So I think so much of what is going on today is because we have nutrient-depleted food. We have food that's sprayed with pesticides We have uh, and herbicides. We have... Uh, talk tons and tons of toxins in our environment. Our kids do not spend enough time outside. I mean, I can go on and on with the things that are really impactful on our genes. They don't sleep well. Uh, they don't get enough sunlight. So, yeah, I, I definitely think genetics holds the gun, but environment does pull the trigger. All right, and that was wonderfully said, because that's kind of what I was thinking in my head. I think when I, I dove into this topic originally, you know, like six, seven years back, I wanted to believe that there was some end game in terms of, okay, I can just master the environment enough to not need any of this stuff anymore, and certainly we can need less over time. But you bring up such a great point. It's just like no matter how much we manipulate our environment in today's world, I think like the only option, and not to sound extreme, but I'm sure you agree, it's like the only option besides, you know, just modifying uh, some of our lifestyle and still living in a normal society. I mean, like you'd have to go to like a freaking island or, you know, some remote part of the uh, maybe like Central or Southern America, I feel like to have an environment that is even close to what our ancestors had, you know, so maybe it is just one of those things where it's not that we actually need supplementation as human beings, but because the environment, like you said, is so bad. I mean, if one of the ways I didn't know that until you said that um, about the folate thing and the you know leafy green vegetables, it makes total sense. Well, even the organic stuff still has lesser nutrient content than it did a mm -hmm. hundred years ago. We know this for a fact. So it's like, yeah, I guess even the best environment is still so subpar um, to what a half decent environment was, you know, two or 300 years ago, you know? It really is. And I mean, if you think about the way that we were eating two or 300 years ago, we were not eating chicken breast 
from the grocery store that were raised in a gigantic farm. We were eating, you know, nose to tail. We were eating every part of the animal. We were getting lots of liver that's really rich in iron and B12. We were eating all of the animal, which really impacts your health as well, which is another reason that we are not getting, you know, some of the nutrients we need because our kids are not eating enough protein to make neurotransmitters. They're going to school and the breakfast that's being served is crumb cake, which does not have enough protein. You need those proteins to make neurotransmitters. So there's a lot of factors that go into why we're seeing all of these chronic issues that we're seeing. Well said. And yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that you brought up two really good points. One is the fact that neurotransmitters are very often are created um, from the proteins that we eat. And it sounds so basic and so simple. Uh, but until we look at the fact that we're not getting, most of us aren't getting enough protein, especially high quality protein um, in today's world. And then the second question is, well, do we even have the ability to digest and assimilate this? And mm -hmm. I always use any excuse to bring this up on the show when someone references it. Um, and you brought up the part about like eating the whole animal. There was just in summary, a guy named Weston A. Price. He was a dentist. And in the early 1900s, he went around trying to prove veganism. And the reason he was trying to prove that is because he was wondering why everyone's jaws were so messed up. He assumed it was because of our modern um, diet. And he studied, I think it was about 14 indigenous tribes all over the world. And what he discovered was that every single tribe ate raw organ meats, every single tribe. We're talking liver, we're talking brain, heart, except one, and they still ate raw animal products, and they also lived closer to the equator. Now, that brings up a separate conversation of why they probably did that. That's not really for today's episode, um, but I am so excited to dive more into, I think we're going to take like a mental health route because that's something we talk about very often on this show, uh, but we will do that right after these quick commercial breaks. Hey, when you know that you or a loved one would do better mentally with something more than what your current doctor is doing, you can head to the Patient Experience Center at dhalab.com. View their advanced brain chemistry consultations to quickly and easily test and optimize with an MD. Take brain health in your own hands today with a 10% discount. Use the code HEALTHCOACHEV when checking out for a 10% discount on any test and consultation services. And again, that's dhalab.com. Folks, let's stop for a second and talk about sleep. How many people out there really think that they get the best sleep they possibly could? In our modern world, there are so many factors preventing us from getting a good night's rest. We need to do whatever we can to make our sleep as optimal as possible. And that's why Health Coach Ev recommends blue light blocking glasses. These special glasses prevent the parts of the artificial light that keep us awake from getting into the brain while they tell the body it's um, excuse me, where they tell the, uh, your body that it's daytime. They work so well, in fact, that you'll sleep noticeably better on the first night of wearing them. What you want to do is go to blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and go to the sleep section. Get your favorite pair and at checkout, use the discount code HCE15, like Health Coach Ev, for 15% off. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and discount code H-C-E-15 for 15% off. And we are back. Welcome to the Health Coach Up Show, where we are leveling the playing field around physical and mental health. I'm your host, Evan Transu, a.k.a. Health Coach Ev. And we're talking to Dr. Piper Gibson today about genetics and genetic testing. I'm loving this topic. So. My first question before we get into, I want to really touch on some mental health stuff with this, because I'm imagining that this testing's huge for that. But Piper, did you, 
I, I imagine you couldn't have resisted this. Did you run some of the genetic testing on yourself? And if so, what did you find? I did run genetic testing on myself because, well, once you start, you can't stop. My, I had had, and so this really leads into that mental health piece, and I'm so excited to dig into this with you. I had had chronic, chronic anxiety my entire life. I thought it was part of who I was. I didn't even know anxiety was a word when I was a kid. I would stay awake all night. You know, every noise I heard, I was paranoid. I hated people looking at me. I was anxious all the time. And I, when I started working with my son, I was like, well, well, now I want to know what my genes are. So I looked at my genes and, you know, I also had a lot of the inflammation and a lot of the methylation issues. And what is interesting is that even though we had similar issues, our symptoms were different. He was experiencing a tick and I was experiencing this crazy anxiety. And when I worked on myself, I changed my diet. Um, we had already changed so much stuff around the home. But when I started adding in some nutrients for myself, as far as the supplementation, my anxiety, my lifelong anxiety went away. I no longer struggle with anxiety. And at that point, I had seen so many changes. My sister, she was struggling with depression. She was taking Wellbutrin. She said, let's, let's do this. And she absolutely says that she feels like if she had not done this testing and made the changes that she made in her life, she would have probably committed suicide. So I feel like looking at it is from a mental health standpoint is extremely powerful. Yeah, I mean, those are some powerful statements for sure. When we're talking about like the time frame here, and I know that this is not the same for everyone. I'm just, I'm genuinely curious because I was so surprised what you talked about with your son. When you say that you ran the testing, you got these results, and then anxiety is like going away, or I believe you said your sister, right, with um, the well-butrin. Yeah. Like, how long are these results taking to be achieved? Like, is this another 30-day thing, or is it 60 days? Like, what, how long does this take for people? You know, for me, I don't really remember. All I know is that I had started to make all these changes. I'd taken out the gluten and the dairy. I had um, reduced a lot of inflammation. And I just woke up one day, it was, you know, probably within like three to six months, I woke up one day and I said, oh my gosh, I don't have this horrible anxiety anymore. You know, it just kind of slipped away. It disappeared without much of a notice. And my sister said she feels kind of the same way that, you know, once she made the changes, it wasn't immediate, but, you know, in a few months she woke up and she's like, wow, I cannot, I feel so much better. That's so cool. So, yeah, I would imagine then this makes a lot of sense because as the body is getting, let's say, the nutrients that it needs to support these SNPs, it's probably, yeah, a subtle change that all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm back to being fully supported. And that's such a, it's just such a cool thing. And it's one of the reasons, um, you know, I believe you probably do the same thing. I'm really big on like intake forms and then repeating those because people actually forget how bad they felt um, three months ago or, or six months ago. And especially with something like mental health, I noticed that it, especially like depression type symptoms that I dealt with, it was very subtle coming on um, and it was equally as subtle going away. And it's an amazing feeling to be able to wake up one morning and say, wow, you know what, this isn't really something um, that I deal with majorly anymore. So one of the things I'm also curious about is you have an extensive training um, in many other lab tests. And I don't want to oversimplify this stuff and I want to make sure I'm understanding it correct. Like I have had not only people that I know that I, I very much trust, I've had doctors on this um, show that literally only run genetic testing 
and the rest of their stuff is environmental changes. They don't really believe in a lot of the other lab testing. Have you moved to just these types of tests or do you still utilize hormone tests and let's say stool tests in your practice? Yeah, I use a lot of other functional lab testing. And the reason is, is I want to clinically correlate it. Just because you might have a SNP doesn't mean that that gene is not functioning properly or that that gene is expressing or not expressing. So I do utilize a lot of other functional lab testing. If I see that somebody has a lot of factors that would lead to inflammation in the gut, I want to look at a stool pathogen test. One of the tests that we offer is a women's health panel. So I know that so many practitioners are doing Dutch testing. They're looking at hormones. But one of the things that you can look at on in comparison is this women's nutrigenomic panel is you can run a Dutch test with it and you can see if somebody has the SNPs are like COMP or CYP1B1, this really has to do with that uh, carcinogenic 4-hydroxyestrogen. So if you're doing a Dutch test and they have high levels, they're estrogen dominant, it could be due to the fact that they have these genetic SNPs and you can really work on some things to help in that department. So I do utilize a lot of other functional lab testing. I think it really connects the dots. I think that's a very fair explanation. Um, if you only had, you know, or excuse me, if you had someone that could only run um, one test, is that something to, would that just be dependent on the person or would you maybe go to something like this? Because I saw a lot of the genetic panels as I'm learning about this and compared to some other functional tests and what these can get you, I mean, these are relatively cheap if you ask me. Like, I think this is really exciting stuff. They are really affordable. What I love is that when we tested through our insurance one gene, I spent six months fighting with my insurance that cost us $1,000 out of pocket for one gene. These tests, yes, you're paying out of pocket, but, you know, you're paying a few hundred dollars for 36 to 55 genes or more, depending on what we look at, um, and you get so much more information. So it really is, you know, an affordable thing. And when I work with clients, you know, it really depends on the person. But, you know, I think if we can run functional lab testing as well as nutrigenomic mm -hmm. testing at the same time, we're going to get more, more answers for sure. Okay. I have a lot of respect for that because that's not like dogmatic by any means. You know, I think it's, I think even I'm still subject to this, right? You, you get down so many different paths in natural medicine and you get so excited because you see them working so well. Um, and I always have to keep myself a step back and just like, all right, you know, this is just one part of a bigger puzzle, right? It's not everything. So uh, it's another tool in the tool belt type of thing. Now, you guys have a specific panel for, um, I, I don't know that it's referred to as like a mental health panel. It's more like um, a neurological or neurotransmitter panel. Or are those two different things? So we have a mood panel and we have a neurotransmitter panel. They both look at neurotransmitters. One just kind of looks a little more extensively than the other. Um, but yeah, you know, we see and a lot of people that maybe it's anxiety, depression, and maybe they will benefit from looking at a neurotransmitter panel. Um, what happens is I find that most practitioners who are utilizing the testing, they don't just run one test. They run a few of them together because they find out that they get it's more answers when they are looking at more genes. 
Okay, got it. So let's talk about the mood one then specifically, because I'm someone I don't I think you and I have talked about this briefly, but I, I wouldn't expect you to remember it. It would have been a while ago. I mean, my main health complaints as a child, I, I had a bunch of physical stuff, but the things that were the most damaging to my life were extreme anxiety, you know, panic attacks, um, generalized anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder, those types of things. Um, so what are like, if someone comes to you like that, I'm not saying everyone's going to be the same, but what are some typical things that you might find? I, let's say, all right, I need that mood uh, panel because that would make total sense for someone like that, I'm assuming. What are some typical things that you might find in someone presenting with those symptoms, like in terms of the genetic side of things? So there's a lot of people who maybe they are not um, making enough serotonin and dopamine. Maybe they have an overabundance of inhibitory or excitatory neurotransmitters. So things like glutamine are excitatory to the brain. Um, and some people have a, a, you know, a glutamate sensitivity based on their genes. They just cannot handle the glutamate. Um, and so that's excitatory, and they have a harder time converting those glutamines to GABA, which is more of that calming side. Um, you know, people that have things associated with depression, so some of those genes can be things like MAOA, MAOB, COMT, which also has to do with how we metabolize estrogens. Um, and so there's really a lot of factors that we can look at as far as neurotransmitters, you know, and then we're going to look at other things that we can take into account, like neurotoxins. Are you cleaning your bathroom with bleach? Um, how's your stress level? You know, do you consume alcohol? Do you have a poor diet? Do you have, do you drink 30 cups of coffee in a day? And, you know, do you, are you sensitive to caffeine? So there's lots of different things that we're going to look at together in order to really compare and contrast, connect those dots for you. Understood, understood. And with this one, I don't want to sound ignorant, but I feel like I know the answer, but I, I want to act it regardless. For someone like myself, um, well, and by the way, it's really interesting that you brought up the uh, glutamine thing because my mom is one of those people. Now, I don't have her genetic test uh, yet, although she definitely wants to do it. She's very excited about it. Um, with the uh, glutamate thing, she is someone that, yes, she takes like 10, maybe 15 grams of um, L-glutamine, and she gets terrible anxiety. That's usually a symptom of that glutamate thing, right? Yep. It, yeah, I have a lot of people tell me, and I experience this too. It makes me feel like my brain is on fire. I just cannot, I cannot handle my glutamine. That's so interesting because, yeah, I mean, I'm someone. Obviously, I would have. Of course, the genes are very complicated, but you know, you'd think, oh, well, it's at least more likely than not that I might have some similar to my mom, and certainly I do. But I can sit here and take 30 grams and three doses of glutamine every single day, and it helps me so much. Improves skin, um, improves gut stuff. It's it's very helpful. So. Very interesting there. Um, but my original question was when, and this is where I, I feel a little ignorant, like if someone like me as a kid is dealing with the panic attacks, depression, anxiety, stuff like that, regardless of what the environmental cause or factor might be, do I need some level of genetic susceptibility to those things? Because let's use that bleach example, right? Well, um, although I don't have a specific example in my life where bleach was an issue, uh, you know, how about gluten? That might be more relevant. I've had people yeah. in my life where my friend ate a lot of gluten and she knows that it causes migraines for her. So now she stopped. Whereas for me, it's more of um, anxiety thing and more of a, a skin type of thing. So does the person always need some type of genetics to experience a specific symptom or is it more complicated than that? It's definitely more complicated than that. You know, if you've got some leaky gut or intestinal permeability going on, that's definitely going to impact that. You know, gluten's going to impact that as well. 
And one of the things we can look at is, are you predisposed to gluten sensitivity, Crohn's, um, celiac disease? We can look at those things on your genes. But, you know, we know if you have some SNPs for the gluten issues, you most likely are not, or you're not going to get celiac disease if you are not consuming gluten. You can get celiac disease without having the genes because gluten can be that potent to give it, you know, you can get it anyway, but you're definitely more likely to get it if you have those genes. So it's really more complex than just saying, oh my gosh, you have this gene. It's what we're looking at is, I tell my clients, if you had a crack in the foundation of your house, you would do everything you could to reinforce that crack so that you could keep living in your home. And your genes are the same way. A snip is more like a crack in your foundation. We can look at that and see what we need to do to reinforce and remove in order to support your body. Okay, thank you. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I, again, I, I kind of figured that was the answer, but I just thought it was interesting. I, I was kind of like in my head, you know, is it impossible to experience something unless you have some susceptibility to it? And it's just one factor. So, um, wow, this is going super fast today. I definitely loving this conversation, like I said. And when we get back from the commercial break, we'll talk about a little more and as well as where people can find Piper if you're interested in working with her. Um, so we will see you guys in just another minute. Folks, does the idea of supporting you or your child's mental health challenges sound appealing, but you have no idea where to start? Do you think it's all just way too complicated to actually apply in a practical way? Well, that's why I published my book last year, Overcoming Mental Health Challenges, How I Resolved 13 Years of Mental Health Issues Naturally. In part one of the book, I share all of the details of my mental health journey. This is meant to relate to those out there suffering, as well as validate any symptoms that they may think are strange or abnormal, because a lot of us going through the mental health thing sometimes do some, some things that really don't make a lot of sense to us, and we feel very alone with that. Now, part two contains all of the basic action steps I took to finally get my mental health under control naturally. It's explained in a very simple way, um, a lot less complex than we get into on this radio show here. It is definitely for everyone. You can grab a copy of the book today. Just go to Amazon and type in Evan Transu. That's Amazon.com and type in Evan Transu, T-R-A-N-S-U-E, in the search bar. Does the pandemic have your hair looking a little funky? Do people stop and glance at you while you walk down the street? <laughs> Folks, hair salons have been open for a while now. It's time to get that haircut you've been procrastinating. And when you do it, you should head to Hair Envisions in Ottsville, Pennsylvania. Hair Envisions is open Tuesday through Saturday. They specialize in coloring and also offer keratin treatments that give your hair that smooth finish. Hair Envisions offers haircuts for all ages so you can bring the whole family. Schedule your appointment today by calling 610-847-8894. That's 610-847-8894. And then tell them Health Coach Ev sent you. Welcome back to the Health Coach Ev Show, where we are leveling the playing field around physical and mental health. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Health Coach Ev. I'm your host. And we're talking to Dr. Piper Gibson today all about genetics. This hour is uh, flying by. I feel like most of them do for me, <laughs> but um, definitely this one especially. Now, before we get into anything else, um, Piper, I want to make sure that people have the opportunity today to know where they can find you. If they're like, all right, this woman is sweet. I like what she's talking about. I want to utilize some of this testing. Um, where are you? Uh, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me at regenerating.health. So not .com, .health, regenerating.health. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Regenerating Health. Um, if you are a practitioner who's actually interested in utilizing this testing in your practice, you just go to gxsciences.com, and you can also email me, piper at gxsciences.com, 
And I would love to connect with you either as a practitioner or a client and uh, see how we can help you out. Sweet. I love that you are bringing this to practitioners. Again, I'm, I'm super grateful for this. And it is something I'm going to offer in the future, but, you know, I'm still brand new to it. So, guys, if you're looking for this right now, I think uh, Piper is definitely the way to go. There's really no question about that. One of my favorite things to talk about on the show is results that maybe we've gotten in clients' lives because it's amazing to hear the stories from practitioners. Um, but I think it's intimidating for some people, especially like today, you know, and it really happens every time, but we get someone on that's clearly highly intelligent, uh, clearly very educated and passionate about the topic. And it's like, oh, okay, well, great. They fixed their health issues, but is that really replicatable for me? Is that something I can do? And the truth is absolutely. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be simple, but these are duplicatable things. So I'm curious, do you have like a client success story that just really sticks out something that you know, maybe they never thought they were going to get better and then utilizing um, your practice, whether it was with the genetic testing or not, um, they just got significantly better? I do. So on, and it's really fantastic because it really is impactful as far as the mental health goes. So I had a client, his mom called me um, and we had a conversation. And at the time he was in the mental hospital, he had been there two previous times. So he was on his third stay. And she called and said, you know, I live in New York. Uh, you know, I'm here in New Mexico. She's in New York. She said, you know, can you help me? And we really dug in. I said, is anything else you've tried worked? And she said, no. And I said, then maybe it's worth a shot. So when he got out, we started working together. He was 17 at the time. He had struggled with psychosis, um, anxiety, uh, delusions. He was really on the downside of the mental health issues. He was really not doing well. And so we use nutrigenomic testing, school pathogen testing, food sensitivity testing. His doctor ran a bunch of blood work, so we were able to utilize that as well. And when we put it all together, um, within about six months, they saw huge changes in him. His mom said she felt like he would never be able to drive a car or finish school or get a job, which are all things that he, within about six months, was able to do. He flew across the country to see his brother. He got a job, he joined a gym, he graduated high school, he got his driver's license. So all of these things that, you know, six months previously, his mom did not think was going to happen for him. She really felt like my son's never going to have a quote unquote normal life. And so they have seen huge, huge changes. It's been fantastic for them. And, you know, he's, he's one of my favorite success stories because his outlook was just so bleak and it's so amazing now. This is, I mean, this is incredible, Piper. This is so cool to learn about. Um, I guess for the last part of the show here, and it is, um, it won't be a curveball for us, but I feel like it might seem like that for the people in the audience, but it's something I really wanted to hit on today, and we have, I think, just enough time to get into the basics. One of the things that I, I've seen on the panels is that you guys are able to test for genes revolving around autophagy. Now, that is so interesting. Um, for those not in the functional space and up to date with this, I, I understand that this, again, might not mean as much, but to me, that's like actually profound um, and something I'll definitely be adding on to my initial test. So number one, I guess, just to define to people out there in simple terms, uh, what is autophagy? Love the topic, Evan. Autophagy is your body's cell recycling system. If you took your garbage out to the curb and your garbage man never came within a few weeks, there'd be trash everywhere. And that is very much the same with autophagy. That's your body's cell recycling system. It's your ability to get rid of cellular waste. And if you have poor autophagy, you end up with a lot of cellular waste. 
and your body can't do the functions it needs to do because you've got garbage everywhere. Okay. Yeah, I love that. I love when people do um, analogies. I know you know Ryan Monahan. He's like the king of that. You know, he makes totally. these incredibly complicated things, very uh, simple enough or, or visual at least. Now, the reason I'm so fascinated by this is because, again, a doctor that we've actually had on the show so far, her, she has a personal story with this, which I find particularly fascinating. And it's not like she doesn't take care of the in- environment and lifestyle stuff. She certainly does. But she is under the impression with the work that has been done and the science that has been shown around autophagy that virtually any chronic disease can be healed. Now, here's why she thinks this, folks, because autophagy, again, literally is cleaning the cells. So the question becomes, if you can turn autophagy up consistently enough to the point that you are cleaning these cells more than they're getting toxins in and more than they're being damaged. Now, this might take years. For her, it took about four years to fully heal. But the thing is, she is not just managing symptoms, as admittedly I've done unintentionally throughout uh, my healing journey. She has true healing from these types of diseases. So this is really an important thing. With that autophagy panel, like how many different ways can – are they all like the same thing? Are they just all markers for autophagy not like working as well in the person? Like I feel like I'm oversimplifying this or, or again, coming from a place of kind of ignorance because it's still new to me. Um, but like what is the genes really looking for in terms of autophagy and how it works in the body? So we're really looking at how well that system is working. So three of the genes that we really look at that are kind of in here are they're called ATG. Um, you know, there's 16L1, there's, you know, ATG5, there's a couple, three, three or four different ones. And these genes actually come in and form what's called an autophagosome. So they form a pocket around the cellular waste. And when that happens, these genes form that cellular wall. So if you can't properly form that cellular wall, you don't have a good pocket. You have to have this pocket in order for something called a lysosome, which is full of enzymes to attach to it. And then those enzymes are going to break down all of those things in that pocket that need to be recycled. So when we know that we have some issues with these particular uh, genes, we can do some things, add in some particular supplementation, um, do some fasting. Fasting is incredible for autophagy. We can make these changes for the body. So we're going to look at really how well your body's cell recycling system works. This is very interesting. Is there um, a particular type of client, and I don't know if it's like a specific disease symptom or just maybe the longevity of the symptoms and chronic illnesses that they have, are there like people in particular that, I know we always test on guests, but you might be able to see their history beforehand and be like, oh, I know they're going to be dealing with some genetic like problems there. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten really good at that. Um, I can really, I love to look at people and talk to them and say, okay, this is really what I think is going on. And then sure enough, we'll get their testing back and and that's really what's going on with them um so yeah i i do think you can kind of look at people and figure it out but you know we see like people who have parkinson's they have really poor autophagy um but you know it may not just be their autophagy if they spent their whole life drinking diet coke that has aspartame that's excitatory that basically kills the neurons in your brain that's not going to help your you know your parkinson status so really there's again more than just one factor. It's not just your genes. It's okay. What else is going on? Okay. All right. I mean, we're going to pretty much have to end it there. So I I do need to ask one thing besides the supplements, you mentioned fasting. Isn't that something that virtually, I mean, assuming that they're at least half healthy, you know, you don't want to do this without permission from your doctor, but 
fasting would be something that virtually anyone can do to increase autophagy? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, 12 to 15 hours is really best. If you stop eating at 7 at night, eat, don't eat until after 7 o'clock the next morning. For some reason, women's magical number seems to be about 15 hours of fasting. It's really where they see some good response. So, yeah, I mean, fasting, I think just in this day and age, we've gone from, you know, make sure you're eating six times a day to, okay, now make sure that you're fasting all, you know, all of these periods of time and how beneficial it is. So I think fasting is great for anybody. But, yes, check with your doctor first. Okay, understood. It's amazing. Um, so many things that seem like luxuries, right? Like you think we are so blessed to be um, even having people in today's world that can eat six times a day for the majority of their life, you know, and it's actually one of the most damaging things um, you can do to the body. So uh, we will be wrapping up here, but I, Dr. Piper, I just wanted to say thank you so much for hopping on today and sharing your knowledge with us. I felt like we could have done this for hours. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Evan, and I'll come back anytime to talk about whatever you want. You're very welcome. And everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Health Coach Ev Show, where we are leveling the playing field around physical and mental health. As always, I'm your host, Evan Transu, a.k.a. Health Coach Ev. Um, and we've been talking to Piper Gibson. You can find her at um, regenerating.health, and we'll have all the other links, email, and those types of things in the show notes. And as always, you can get in contact with me by heading over to evantransu.com. Next week, we'll be talking to a physical therapist and good buddy of mine, Ben Torres. We will see you then.